coming up this week off screen. We search the four realms for a nutcracker. Juliet gets naked. The slaughterhouse rules. We meet Jamaica's mother. And try out some magic medicine. All those to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor, and I'm John Colson. So, Mr. Colson, thank you for filling in this week. It's no always appreciated. So, um, well, before we get to the box office top five, the film reviews, which is obviously more important, the film news, which is secondarily more important, and uh, well, all the usual fun, which is tertiarily more important I suppose is that a word that works I, I think it works okay so uh, we need some film news to kick us off something to start the week going and what have you got for me what do you want to talk about this week Flash Gordon you want to talk about Flash Gordon yes he's in Ted recently is that what it is um, no, no. <laughs> no but that is because most people nowadays know Flash Gordon more because of Ted than actually being Flash Gordon, which I've always found really it's odd. got to be a, an age or a time thing, surely. I, I think it is. I mean, don't get me wrong, Flash Gordon is from before either of us were even alive. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember Flash Gordon for... Uh, do you remember a cartoon series in the late 80s called Defenders of the Earth? Um, do you remember this one? Kind of, I think. It, it, that's kind of how our age bracket encountered Flash Gordon. Right. It was like an animated Avengers, and it starred uh, Flash Gordon, the Phantom, you know, the purple-suited black visor yes. one. Yes. And, uh, oh my God, who was the magician? The magician, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, was going to do a, a movie adaptation of him a couple of years ago for Warner Brothers. That's, that could literally be anybody. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, of course. Uh, so, Flash Gordon. This, they've been trying to get Flash Gordon off the ground as a movie now for a few years. They've been trying to get this done as a pro- property. Um, the one uh, concrete bit of news that seemed to have come around the last few years was that Matthew Vaughan, just after the first Kingsman movie, had said, right. oh, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do Flash Gordon. Yeah. And it made logical sense because the, la- the third act of Kingsman kind of does play. Like a, uh, a Flash Gordon movie, you know, oh, okay. big mountain base and all the soldiers and everything. Anyway, it's not going to be Matthew Vaughn. All right, all right. Well, he's busy. He's he's off ruining other things. Oh. So, well, you know, he couldn't make a sequel to his own movies. So, oh, so bad. Yeah, Kingsman Two, man, that's that's terrible. By the way, the worst gag in Kingsman Two actually did get done well recently. I'll I'll get to that when we actually review that movie. Right. Anyway, um, so we've now got Julius Avery, who has uh, who has recently directed. Overlord. You know this this movie that we thought was going to be the third Cloverfield movie? Yeah. And now it's not. It's just Overlord. It comes out next week. Yeah. And it's a, it's a Paramount movie. It is a World War II movie with zombie Nazis. Okay. Because that's not been done recently. Ever. It's not like Iron Sky ever happened. <laughs> Anything like that. <laughs> or, or, you know, the sequels to Iron Sky. Do you know, a dog literally ate my Blu-ray copy of Iron Sky. Really? <laughs> Oscar the dog <laughs> ate my Blu-ray copy. I ate clean through the jiffy bag that came through the post box. <laughs> <laughs> I still love the movie. I'm a very big fan of it. Uh, Julius Avery, who obviously is, is uh, kind of, you know, doing the rounds at the moment because of Overlord, and that being, you know, having the hype of would, would have been the third Cloverfield movie. Movie and oh sorry fourth Cloverfield movie I forget about the Cloverfield paradox the Netflix one 
I don't even know about that. Do you not know about that one? No. So the Cloverfield, which yeah. was the god-awful Matt Reeve found footage nonsense. All right, okay. Right. I liked it, but we can move on from that. We'll move on, because I'm sorry, but you know, we're friends. Yeah. If you're being attacked by aliens, I'm going to film it. <laughs> so, you know, that's where the idea of a found footage monster movie kind of dies on its arse these, for me. These days, everything would be done in selfie form as well. <laughs> yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Like, Cloverfield, if you made it after selfies, would be a very different movie, wouldn't it? it instead of it's behind you being the shark, it'd be like, is it behind me? Is it in Is it shot? behind me? Or is it, in fact, just on my shoulder? <laughs> Get carefully captured by this Snapchat filter. Anyway, <laughs> so we had, we had Cloverfield, which yeah. I thought was garbage. I really did. I did not like Cloverfield at all. Okay. Uh, the marketing campaign was novel, I'll give it that, because we didn't know what it was. No, yeah, it was great. I loved um, it. It was very mysterious, wasn't it? It was like an 11th of January, you know. Yeah. Uh, little clips on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, little it was snippet good. It was thing. Good. And, and then you got 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was really good. It was the... Um, the John Goodman yeah. in the bunker thing. I like that you got that from a hand gesture. Yeah, from your hand gesture. I don't know why hand gesture, which is literally, what you're doing is making the money gesture. Yeah. You're making the money gesture, and this apparently is John Goodman. But uh, that, that's, that's John Wealthyman, by the way. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, after that, you had Cloverfield Paradox, which last year at the Super Bowl, it was announced. Okay. Uh, Paramount dropped it. Uh-huh. And we didn't know what was happening to it. There was no trailer. We just knew it was coming. It starred Dave, David Ayaloo and, and Gugu and Bartha Raw. Great cast. It was going to be in space. It was a Cloverfield movie. We didn't know what was happening. Super Bowl came around. And if you were me and you really wanted to watch the Eagles play the Patriots, uh, you sat there, you watched it, and then a trailer came on and said, hey, this movie you forgot existed that everyone we stopped telling everyone about, uh, Netflix have it now. And uh, you can watch it like tomorrow. Oh. So everyone did. <laughs> And not many people liked it. <laughs> so it kind of, yeah, it, it kind of did feel like a dumping job. Oh, okay. It did feel like Paramount really didn't want to release it. And, although they did stress at the same time that uh, it was going to be a one-off, that this wasn't a thing for Cloverfield. Okay. This was just this one. The next one was coming out. We all thought Overlord was going to be the next one. And now it's just Overlord. It's not Cloverlord. It's it's just Overlord. <laughs> See, I did that. I yeah, went there. I liked it. It's so natural, isn't it? Cloverlord. Cloverlord. You could do that. Anyway, so uh, the director of that, Flash Gordon, this is a thing that could happen. I'm sure Sam Jones is already petitioning for a cameo. Okay. And uh, it's a shame everything happened with Kevin Spacey happened, because Ming the Merciless, natural role, could have worked. Ah. I mean, not not because the, the you know, obviously there's the there's the ethnicity barrier. Yeah. But you know, Max von Sydow played it in, in the eighties. So and and he's not Asian, so that could have worked. Although, I'm just gonna put it out there, Ken Watanabe. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let them fight. Yeah. Ken Watanabe, <laughs> yeah. Gotham must die. You know, Ken Watanabe be a brilliant Ming the Merciless. Although you know who I'd take, just for the badass factor, Jet Lee. Jet Li would make a great Ming the Merciless. Yeah, he started aging now as well, hasn't he? He has, now but very like manly. You know, he just needs the bald head putting on, or he could shave his I was going to say, he could just but shave But he's got to have the ridiculous eyebrows anyway. So, okay. got the ridiculous eyebrows and that kind of borderline offensive Fing Fan Foom mustache, beard thing that they yeah. have. You know, the, uh, who's the character from Kill Bill? Oh. Pai Mei. Pai Wei? Pai Wei, I think it is, isn't it? Pai Wei or Pai Mei, I forget. I don't know if in Kill Bill. <laughs> I've not seen Kill Bill in a long time. I've touched a woman. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> Pai Mei. So, that kind of beard, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, Flash Gordon, yeah. it's coming back. It's happening. And hopefully it won't be anywhere near as bad as that awful 2007 Sci-Fi Channel uh, series remake. It's got to be a little bit bad to be Flash Gordon, though. It's got to be a little bit, hasn't it? Who would you cast as Flash Gordon today? 
Because I've got an idea for this one. He might be a bit old, but I've got an idea. Yeah, he might be a bit old for you means he's like a 90s TV star. I'm talking about Army Hammer. Oh. Army Hammer? Flash Gordon? Boom, I'm in. You got my money. That could totally work. Well, now I can't see anyone else. Well, it's going to be some kid from Riverdale, isn't it, realistically? (laughs) It's clearly everything is some kid from Riverdale. I was watching a movie the other day. I go, who is this kid? I looked it up. Some kid from Riverdale. So it, it was his credit. It was the hate you give. I'm like, who is this kid? Some kid from Riverdale. That's all I know. Oh, no. I've, I've never watched Riverdale. I have no plan to. Um, I've never been an Archie fan, to be honest. I mean, I, I remember Archie's from the animated series in like the 80s and 90s. Uh, I know Archie, Jughead, Betty Veronica, all that stuff. Mm. Um, I will watch The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And that's only because I'm, I'm a diehard, like, hashtag Sabrina for life kind of guy. Yeah, we've started it. It's, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, cool. But uh, I've not watched a single episode. Maybe not. No, no, no. Dead all came along. Oh. You know, you know me and Murdoch, we, we go we go way back. You're literally <laughs> sat in front of a framed Joe Casada portrait of Daredevil. But uh, you, you really are. You were sat in front of yeah, a Casada right. Daredevil. <laughs> I, I checked as well. It's been there for ages. Yeah, it's been there for well, the, the four years I lived here. Anyway, so, uh, anyway, first review of the week. Let's talk about The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Um, are you a fan of The Nutcracker? No. Neither am I. Never been a fan. <laughs> never enjoyed a single version of The Nutcracker. And I didn't get a chance to look up how many versions there have been. But there's obviously been quite a few because even Barbie's had one oh wow Barbie's had one Mickey Mouse has had one I think the Muppets had one at some point the Nutcracker has been done so often that nearly every family friendly brand has had a stab at the Nutcracker in addition to the number of live action uh, adaptations that have been done over the years so leave it to Disney then to go full Christmas on us get Lasse Holstrom off the shelf and remember Lasse Holstrom he made that dog's purpose a dog's purpose is to be reincarnated and serve more humans. Oh, no, I didn't watch that because it made me too sad. Yeah, it, it, the movie would make you sad even if it wasn't a bad dog. It's a very bad movie. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, also very very much waste, Dennis Quaid. Um, so, <laughs> The Nutcracker, which stars Mackenzie Foy, who you may remember as young Murph from uh, Interstellar. Remember? Murph! Uh, I've never seen Interstellar. You've never seen Interstellar? No. There's a character in it called Murph! <laughs> and she's only referred to exclusively as Murph! Uh, <laughs> they do the face thing that you're doing <laughs> that whole yeah, yeah you have to squeeze your face your chin in. down you have to shrill it. your face into the center you go, yeah um yeah in her older years she's played by uh, jessica chastain ah funny story i've met three of the main cast of this movie including mackenzie foy oh. <laughs> whom i met for interstellar anyway so mackenzie foy is a young girl in victorian england she is uh, recently bereaved her mother has, has passed away she is left with her two uh, siblings and her father matthew mcfadden Remember, he was the first lead in Spooks. Oh! And, uh, yeah, for, uh, the original lead in Spooks, and uh, Mr. Darcy in Joe Wright's 2006 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, which, given that this movie also stars Kira Knightley, means that this is technically a Pride and Prejudice reunion, yo. It finally happened. Anyway, so... Young Mackenzie Foy is uh, unhappy. She thinks her father cares more about appearances than uh, dealing with her grief. Okay. They go to a Christmas Eve party at their wealthy godfather's house, played by Morgan Freeman, with the most psychotic hairdo this side of the deleted scenes from Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Forrest Whitaker. And um, he, she is given, as her Christmas present, a, a technological, like a metal egg with a key on it, a very specific key. And she goes in search of this key. And she winds up, as you do, in another realm, the 
there are four of them, don't you know? Not just a clever title. Oh. Anyway, so she winds up in another realm, and before you can say Narnia, she finds herself in a war between various factions of this world. And I tell you what, here's a clip of Kira Knightley more or less explaining the plot to her. This is your mother's throne, Your Grace. Have you come to save us, Clara? No. I'm sorry. I didn't even know this place existed before today. You see, I was looking for a Christmas present from my godfather. I love Christmas. What's Christmas? And then I ran into this horrible little mouse. And that's where I met the captain. We barely escaped Mother Ginger and the Mouse King. Oh, you met Mother Ginger? Oh, my dear Clara, you're lucky to be alive. You kind of get the tone from that one. What this basically plays as... I mean, okay, first of all, I'm not going to spare any, any, any mention here. This is kind of a mess. Okay. okay, it's a little bit of a mess. It's no secret that Lasse Holstrom was replaced at the eleventh hour, like two thirds of the way through this Brian Singer style, by which never, um, works. never, which works. never works. He was replaced by Joe Johnston, who uh, brought us Captain America: The Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America: The First Avenger, brought us uh, The Rocketeer. You know, Joe Johnston. You know, second only to Spielberg on the spectrum of ILM, Amblin-style, family-friendly, you know, features. And, yeah, that bit works. The family-friendly side of this works. The spectacle is there. The story doesn't quite work, but it does serve a sort of Oz the Great and Powerful kind of level. Did you see Oz the Great and Powerful? Yeah, I did, yeah. Remember JD and, yeah. and Mila Kunis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was a lot of fun. That was like Evil Dead, but Disney. It was like Army of Darkness. It was Evil Dead 3, Army of Darkness, but Disney 5. Yeah. Uh, this works nowhere near as well, but it's still actually quite tender, quite warm, and quite fun. It is a mess. You can't overlook it. Mackenzie Foy doesn't get an awful lot to do. Right. There's an all-star cast in there. Like, from the clip, you can hear uh, Kira Knightley, who gets arguably the best role in the film as the Sugar Plum Fairy. Right. Um, the diversions they do take with her and the detours and the twists, they, you can kind of see them all coming, come, to be honest, from the trailer. Uh, Richard E. Grant's in there. Eugenio Derbez, who I'd really rather never see again after Overboard. He's in there. Uh, did I mention Richard E. Grant is in there? I think um, so, yeah. I think so. Uh, uh, Helen Mirren's in there. Morgan Freeman, Matthew McFadden. It's got a good cast, yeah. and the design is there, and the idea of adapting uh, the Nutcracker as a family-friendly epic, effectively, an epic adventure, it works. It does feel very Narnia-ish. It does feel very Oz the Great and Powerful. It's nowhere near as good as either of those film adaptations of recent years, but it just about works. There's a decent score to it. The visual palette kind of comes together. There's a couple of really ropey visual effects in there, particularly like a, a group of mice that bind together to become a giant mouse but yeah stuff like that Um, I think if you're looking for a family friendly film in the run up to Christmas and you don't fancy the Grinch which is (laughs) arguably going to be the thing for the next month uh, this is going to be it and this is basically Disney's game You, you do feel like if it were not for Mary Poppins Returns this would be out on Boxing Day right okay it has that feel it's the film Disney release on Boxing Day yeah but Mary Poppins exists yeah 
and it looks really, really good, and I think it might get some Oscar nods. I'm pretty sure when Best Song comes around, but uh, yeah, it'll never win because you know, A Star Is Born. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I don't think the lead actress has too much to do in it. I mean, there's there is actually there's something quite likable about Mackenzie Foy. There is a sort of otherworldly, almost animated quality to her. Okay, and you kind of got the the start of that in Interstellar, and she because she's kind of just like three years on. Three years on from Interstellar, three, four years on from Interstellar. And I think there is definitely, there's a quality there that when she's in her early 20s, there's clearly going to be a role that comes along that makes us all go, huh, new Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, right. I do, I do declare. Um, that will happen. I have no doubt. This is not the film that does that though. You will have a decent enough time and you will like the spectacle. Obviously it has to at one point dip into a full blown ballet because you know, yeah, it's a ballet. Because it does have to, yeah. I will say this, though. I have never enjoyed a version of The Nutcracker the way I have enjoyed this. The disparate connection between the two differing directors does not really come through. Like, I don't feel like I'm watching this scene from Lassie Hallstrom, this scene from Joe yeah. Johnston. I kind of feel, actually, like I'm watching a Joe Johnston movie. Okay. Uh, which I'm good with. It kind of works. But having said that, Bohemian Rhapsody did kind of try the same thing. And I have no idea whose film I'm watching there. Right. That's a bit more of a mess, though, if I'm really honest. But uh, That's I would I would absolutely see the Nutgrave. If you want a family-friendly movie, like you have nephews. Yeah. You know, if you want to take them to a movie that you know they can get into the magic of and feel the spirit of the winter season, then look no further. This will absolutely work. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Mr. Coulson. So, uh, should we talk about a documentary? We like a good documentary. We do. Like Have you noticed one. in the last, like, sort of seven years that I've actually been reviewing professionally, there are so many more documentaries than there used to be? Yeah. That, I think... In fact, not even that. In the last three years that I've been a national critic, there have been a lot more documentaries we've had access to. I like it, because I enjoy a good doc. You learn a bit, don't you? Yeah, apart, you learn a bit. apart from the... Um... Oh, what was the one? Which one has really offended you? I gotta know this because you, you're, you're always a good judge. The designer was that the designer? Was that McQueen? Or? No, the punk English punk. Oh my god, Vivian Westwood, yes. Westwood punk activist icon. I mean, yeah, that was that was that was not good. She that just was... came across as a terrible person, and you were like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care what you've done. Because and then the Incredibles two came out, and then the mode was back, and we got to do it better. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so let's talk about Magic Medicine. Uh, this is a documentary about depression. It's about the treatment of depression. Now, the film asks the question, can magic mushrooms cure depression? Oh, Literally, oh. the tagline for the movie, can magic mushrooms cure depression? I'm not a scientist. I'm in no way a medical professional. I have done none of the research on this. I'd put money, the answer would probably be yes. I'm sure magic mushrooms could cure a hell of a lot. Well, not cure, but at least distract you from. <laughs> so what we have here is a documentary from uh, Morty Waits. Uh, this is a documentary about a clinical trial that attempts to use ma- the essence of magic mushrooms distilled into capsule form yeah. as, a tr- as a controlled drug trial yeah. to treat depression. Now... The story itself is that the story's great. The story, obviously, the story is is what it is. It's a group of very sympathetic people who depress, you know, suffer with depression. They are taken to a hospital one at a time. They're put into a very nice hospital room with blackout blinds and very nice aromatic candles and lighting. They you know they get put into sensory depth. They got headphones on and, and blinders. And they're given the pills beforehand. They sit down. They trip out. <laughs> they trip out under supervision. 
And the question becomes, does this in any way help with depression? Now, it's clinical trial. So obviously, you know, there's somewhat of a grey area in whether or not it will or it won't, because, you know, you have to control circumstances. You can't give everyone the same thing. That would be placebo, stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not going to give you a definitive answer. Okay. But... Yeah, I was interested. The only problem I had with this is it doesn't go anywhere. Oh. It is the story of a drug trial. When was the last time you, you know, heard about a drug trial being this open and this exposed and it actually resulting in something? And the problem is magic medicine doesn't really go there. It's well captured, it's well realized. What's not well realized, however, is is that you are documenting a drug trial. It just doesn't quite come together. You still need an end. You need an end. This doesn't have. Any, this does have one of those kind of well, we'll see kind of yeah, kind of attitudes. I don't that, want that. You don't. You don't do. You? you want. You want to know. Yeah. Yeah. And there are encouraging signs in there. And obviously, we we know you know numerous people who suffer with mental health issues. Yeah. That you know, I'm sure would happily volunteer themselves. Yeah, give it a whirl. And uh, well, I imagine you would. It's like me and insomnia. You just you try anything. Yeah. And uh, by the way, thanks to the NHS, I I really wanted to try hypnotherapy, but apparently that's not an option. So did you know that? I didn't know that. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, magic is an interesting concept, well realized, doesn't quite go anywhere conclusive. And I, I had kind of a problem with that, I'm not gonna lie. Needs a sequel? N- needs a sequel. Magic medicine? <laughs> I don't know. Magic follow-up? It wasn't magic it wasn't magic, it was medicine. <laughs> magic second opinion. Anyway. <laughs> so should we have a quick piece of film news before we uh, move on? I've got one you're gonna love. Oh, so, then, yeah. what film did you enjoy the most this summer? Um, Big summer blockbuster. What did you like the most out of everything this summer? I'll give you a hint. It was a big hit in China. Um, you, you put me on the spot, and you know I don't deal well with that. If I just say Giant Shark, would that narrow it down? Oh, the mech. Yeah, we're getting a sequel. Seriously. And a theme park. A theme park. <laughs> we're actually getting a mech theme park. <laughs> in China, admittedly... All right. But uh, is this somebody was like, we shouldn't have got rid of Jaws, but they have done. Wait up the Meg. Yeah, but can you just imagine? It's 2018. You release the Meg, right? You've not got. You can't bring Jaws back because you know you'd get savaged by the internet. Yeah, and also never go near Jaws again. They took three, three more attempts at Jaws after the first one. Yeah, they all sucked. I've never seen Arguably that. the best Jaw sequel is Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's just for a theme tune. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, exactly. Deepest Blue is hashtag head is like a shark's fin. Anyway, so, uh, I love that song. I know. How dare you roll your eyes. Yeah, so uh, they are in the early stages. They are discussing doing a sequel to the Meg. So, all I say is... There's ample room to do it. There's a lot of world building in that first one that's kind of left undone. There's a whole, literally another world that they leave (laughs) at the bottom of the ocean in the first act. Like, I'm pretty sure the Meg 2 could just be a giant squid. You know, that's there. Yeah. We know that. Just a, yeah, just another massive animal. Or, or here's one for you. If they want to go really out there, giant starfish. There's, Come on. There's too many jokes that could go... There, there, there is room in the pantheon of cinematic monsters for a giant starfish. All I'm saying. I mean, DC arguably did this years ago. But, still. A steak that have to punch it so many times. Exactly. But, I mean, you took out a shark with a, with a goddamn, you know, scuba knife. You know? <laughs> Such good food. It's so good, isn't it? I was so excited when you went to it's see like, it. Oh, you want one of those Liam Neeson eth- you know, ethically fights wolves movies? Nah, this ain't that. Dude's getting in the water with a knife. He's going to fight a shark. That's the movie. 
we got the director of National Treasure for this. Dude's fighting a shark. <laughs> like, I'm so in, right? Yeah, and I was all the way through. I was so excited. I totally was, especially the part where all the actors just showed up to play themselves. <laughs> it's like, hey, Ruby Rose is here. Who should you play? I don't know, Ruby Rose. <laughs> We've got Cliff Curtis. Oh, good. We have a Cliff Curtis role, like right here in the script that just needs playing. And oh, hang on, go okay. chubby white billionaire dude. Is Rain Wilson busy? Can we can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was that movie, wasn't it? Yeah, it really and I, was. And I loved it for it. I absolutely loved it for it. It didn't hide what it was, and it, it was great. No, no, it was loud and proud, like a giant shark. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what we got next? Let's, let's talk real quickly about Juliet's Naked. You might like this, actually. Juliet Naked, which is the latest adaptation of a Nick Hornby story. Okay. Right? It stars Chris O'Dowd. It stars Rose Byrne, so technically Bridesmaids Reunion. Ah. Uh-huh. It also stars Ethan Hawkes. Ethan's Hawkes. Ah, okay. we're going to keep peel on this one. So, uh, right, the idea is, uh, Rose Byrne has been in the real, well, okay, the movie starts, we are given sort of, uh, Chris O'Dad as our point of view character. Right. He is a media lecturer at a college. He is obsessed with a sort of washed up 90s breakup music style musician named Tucker Crow, played by Ethan's Hawks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ethan's Hawks did a lot of like cranberry style music in the early 90s on an album called Juliet. He is a fanatical worshipper of, of Tucker Crow. Uh, he runs a blog. He has a whole website that we literally introduced to him narrating to the blog, like on camera. Okay. Uh, it, it, it quickly transpires that Rose Byrne's character, his long-suffering girlfriend, has indeed been, get this, long-suffering. So she's put up with this for so long, he cheats on her, and they break up. As this is happening, he happens to be sent a demo called Juliet, comma, Naked, which is an unplugged, unreleased demo, never before seen in the world, of this classic Timeless album, which inadvertently sets up a sort of correspondence, pen pal style relationship between Rose Byrne and the man her ex was obsessed with, played by Ethan Hawke. They form a bit of a friendship, they meet in person, and I'll tell you what, here's a clip. This is his room, shrine, temple, where lived and worked with you and me and him yes. together forever the only reason I've heard yeah. of you is because so of him so what better way to get back at your ex than no, no. get no. me back here parade me around no. Sam Cliff like a trophy right I'm feeling a little cheap I'm that's, feeling a little used I am that's a really interesting theory and, mm-hmm. and, and I appreciate why you would think that but it was your idea to come here in the first place that's I, true yeah mm-hmm. I'm not trying to trap you or, like, cut your head off or whatever. <laughs> Actually, that would be a really fun movie if her, her sort of action was to just take revenge by beheading this rock star. <laughs> um, I really like this. Okay. And I think Ethan Hawke is really well cast in it. And he has this sort of, like a sort of diet version of the Bradley Cooper character from A Star Is Born kind of quality to him. Oh, right. But a bit more sort of in in the world sort of a character. Like he has like, you know, exes and kids and things like that. And you get the sense that there is a whole life that oh, he's, okay. he's led that's never quite worked out. I thought it was really good. I thought it was really soulful. I thought it really, it, it knew where its heart lie. It's not an amazing film. 
by any stretch of the imagination but the musical side of it I think is quite quite nifty I, I kind of like the sensibilities I like the tone of it it's not trying for a grand Hollywood comedy it is really trying for a Nick Hornby sensibility and I, I and I didn't know it was a Nick Hornby movie when I was watching it oh, right. I only found this out after and as soon as I found it, found it out I was just like that kind of makes sense actually yeah. like, it really makes sense because I did think all the way through kind of like Fever Pitch whenever Chris O'Dowd's in this it's like Fever Pitch just like another dude's obsession. Yeah. And you look at like Viva Pitch, High Fidelity, About a Boy, and they are about insecure men and their, uh, their relationships with their, their passions, effectively. This is very much the latest iteration of that, but you know, it comes from the master, so why not? I mean, no one quite gets male obsession, male pop culture obsession, particularly, yeah. quite like Nick Hornby. Uh, Rose Byrne's very likable in it. Uh, Ethan Hawke, I think, is the standout performer in it. Chris O'Dowd, underutilized. Oh. As in, once he's not the point of view character, which is really only the first act, he's kind of gone from this. Like, he has one or two scenes, but never really amounts to anything. And I felt really bad about it, because I, I was quite enjoying Chris O'Dowd's character in it. I really like Chris O'Dowd, so... Chris O'Dowd's a very likeable performer. Like, he, like, I don't think any of us ever saw him becoming a movie star. No, no one of us watched the IT crowd and thought, that one there, that's the movie star. Yeah, exactly. That's clearly it. Yeah, I, I, I think I was like everyone else, just thought, Richard Ayawadi, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd is the movie star, and uh, here is a movie that uh, doesn't really use him very well, but does briefly at least flicker and show you, yes, Chris O'Dowd could be a movie star if we let him. However, Ethan Hawke is a movie star, <laughs> and uh, he's very good in this. So, you know, if you get the chance to see it, absolutely do. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The Movie Marker Radio Show and Podcast. And we're back, Mr. Coulson. So, uh, without further ado, shall we commence with the box office top five for this week? Some good ones in there. Okay. Number five. Johnny English strikes again. Have you seen this? No, I've avoided them all. Well, I mean, I've seen the first two. It looked terrible at the start, so why would I watch any of the others? Well, the first two were terrible. I was invited to see the third. I have no interest in seeing the third, except for the fact that Olga Kurilenko's in it, and I I enjoy her presence greatly. But probably not for reasons that attribute themselves to comedy. Anyway, so, um, it exists. Is there a tweet? Yeah, so Captain Howling at the Midnight Moon, which is a very full name, so it's (laughs) going to be a tough one for any Oscar contenders this year. Having to face down Johnny English Strikes Again. Already a shoe-in for nearly every category. Well, I I think he's confusing the Oscars and the Razzies. Yeah. Hmm. Number four. Smallfoot. Now, this one strikes me as something... Again, you've got nephews. I'm sure this is some kind of thing you'd enjoy at home uh, more than anything. But... uh, Yeah. Everything... Every time I saw a trailer for it, I was just like, this is... uh, You put it on when you sat chilling. I watched this and compared it to Stork's. And I avoided Storks. Well, I, I compared it to Storks with someone who then reviewed it and gave a very, very different opinion relating to fake news. Mm. Um, I don't quite get it. I didn't see that in its... I don't think it has anywhere near the depth of being topical enough to deal with that. It'd be great if it was. I'd be the first guy there in line to okay. enjoy it. Um, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was a bit naff. I just didn't get on with it. I thought it was convoluted, uninteresting, animated nonsense. It basically was like Storks. Has anyone tweeted about it? Yeah, so uh, Shannon Hayes says, Smallfoot was an awesome movie and everyone should go see it. And then she's also given us a nice little picture of her, do you know, with like the marketing material. 
I'm familiar with that. Which I look at and I think, yeah, that's fun, but it's nowhere near as good as when we went to see the Minions and that guy said to us, you do know this is for a selfie with a Minion? And we said, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we do know. We did. And all those other adults looked at us disparagingly. Yeah, like, why are you in this queue? You're not children. And we yeah. Because we want a selfie with a Minion. Yeah, I know. Those kids looked really annoyed, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's a good day. The hell with them. Number three. Halloween. Which I saw again today. All right. I saw the 4K restoration of Halloween and Halloween 2018 back-to-back today. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. And um, I loved it. I thought it was a great experience. Yeah. Although, I'll be really honest, I really like the new Halloween. Okay. Having watched it back-to-back with the first one, obviously it can't hold a candle. Now, I've got theories about the new Halloween, and I want to talk about them in a podcast extras with you. All right. I know you're probably not a Halloween guy. No, because I'm not a real man in horror film scale. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've watched Event Horizon. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the power cut out, we freaked out. <laughs> so perfect. That was a really crap USB plug that just blew out my house. <laughs> anyway, um, Halloween, which I, I think is a really good, uh, re, uh, sort of, re, not reimagining, but a, Sort of, it's a reboot call. I mean, call it what it is. It's a reboot call. It's an alternative number two. Okay. I liked it. I think the cast are very good. I think there is, there's stuff in there that needs to be trimmed out. And there's a lot of stuff that's clearly been excised from the film that should be put back in its place. The teenagers in this movie suck. They really do. The adults are better. And the problem is, the adults were the teenagers last time, and the dialogue sucked in the first one. But when they were trying to be teenagers, I mean, not like the actual film sucked, but... You know, it, it just doesn't quite translate across. It's very obvious that when they've written this new one, they've written it for the adults, and yeah. the teenagers are kind of the afterthought. Yeah. Having said that, I lived to see Laurie Strode become Sarah Connor. Uh. And I'm really, really happy with that, because Jamie Lee Curtis can do more or less anything. I will never tire of watching Jamie Lee Curtis in this role. Having said that, I still don't think this is good as good as Halloween H2O. Oh, okay. But uh, so, has anyone tweeted? Uh, yeah, Mazzy has said, "If you haven't seen the film, you're missing out. It's so good." She's not wrong. Number two. Star is Born. Which you saw, apparently. Yes. Did you love? Yes. I saw oh, you it. do have a beating heart, then. I saw it with Kelly yeah. and our friends, and uh, Katie's pregnant, so I saw it with Kel and a pregnant lady. So yeah. so emotional. So many tears. <laughs> right. You know how to do that button? That button we've just played? Yeah. I had to listen to that song six times. Did you cry six times? I'll be honest with you, I got misty-eyed after six <laughs> viewings of that music video. And I really love A Star Is Born. I didn't expect to. Case was gobsmacked. Yeah. He really was. We, we went to the, we, we, we had like half an hour between that and Venom. And so we popped to the nearest like HSBC or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was very moving. I love the performances in it. I, I, I've never, never been happier to see Bradley Cooper in anything. He was great. He was really great. I think he's also got serious directorial chops. And, yeah. I mean, Lady Gaga, I mean, the title kind of reviews her role for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I take it, like, whoever's tweeted has nothing but love. 
So, so. yeah, Siren, I mm. saw A Star is Born Again, and it was just as brutal as the first time. Was the star born again? It was like the star Christian? Yeah. Number one. Yeah, let's be honest, we, we kind of all know what that was, and we all did exactly the same thing with our heads at that moment. <laughs> it's, it's Bohemian Rhapsody, or it's the scene in Wayne's World that everybody loves. Did you know that they had to genuinely fight to include that song in Wayne's World? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah they had to, because Worth it. Uh, the director, Penelope Spherius, did not believe that the audience for Wayne's World would be receptive to a Queen song. We'll talk more about it later, but yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but Mike Myers fought for it. Uh, and uh, incidentally, Mike Myers is the worst thing in Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, That's absolutely true. Mike Myers exists in this movie purely to set up a particularly crap Wayne's World joke. Oh, uh, what? Yeah, you're not even kidding. You're not kidding even me. kidding. This Freddie Mercury Queen biopic features a Wayne's World joke, a very, very specific Wayne's World joke delivered by Mike Myers in one of his three cameo scenes. He's terrible in it. He's doing the whole... I don't, I can't, I don't know if I can say the name on, on air, uh, but, you know, the Scottish character from Austin Powers' oh, right, yeah, yeah. level performance. Having said that, Rami Malek's great in it, Gwyneth Lee's great in it. In fact, every member of Queen is great in it, particularly Joe Mazzello. Never thought I would say that Timmy from Jurassic Park was the best thing in a film. Never thought I would say that. Timmy sucked. But you know what? He's brilliant in this. He's absolutely brilliant in this. The film, however, few issues. Oh, no. Few issues. Right, it's a lot of fun. You're going to sit there. You're going to watch it. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to whoop. You're going to cheer. You're going to sing along. And you know what you're going to think of it at the end? You're going to think... That was a really great sequence of origin stories for really great Queen songs. Uh, what it's not, though, is a very good Queen movie. And I say that because literally any scene that has to do with Freddie Mercury and the life of Freddie Mercury simply isn't interesting. And if you told me that in 2018 we'd have a movie, at least mostly directed by Brian Singer, that wasn't an interesting Freddie Mercury movie... I'd have thought you were out of your goddamn mind. And yet, here we are. So, thankfully, Freddie Mercury seems to make up only about 30% of this movie. The rest of the movie is origin stories for Queen songs and Queen. And that stuff, really good. When it does hit the emotional beats, it does hit them. However, it does do an awful lot of slut-shaming. Which, frankly, in a Freddie Mercury biopic in 2018 is kind of unacceptable. And also, there's a moment in this film, I don't want to go into it, but I, I, I'd be honest with you, I, I kind of thought it was a bit offensive. Okay. There's a moment in it, I, I think it's going to, I'm surprised it hasn't come up already. It will come up. Right. There is a moment in this movie that will become a source of debate. And I'm bracing myself for it, mm. to be honest. So, has anyone tweeted? Someone has, but because it's me, I can't read their name. <laughs> And then the handle is just the name again. Okay. Um, so this person... I've not got it written down, so I can't say it. <laughs> this person says, Oh, mate, just went to see Bohemian Rhapsody, and I mean bits. Cried about five times. I loved it so, so much. Fair enough. Like, do you know what? It is entirely believable that you can get absolutely emotionally involved in it. It's a very triumphant, very powerful film. However, what it's not is a very good film. It's an enjoyable film. Remember that whole thing I've always told you? Just because you like something yeah. doesn't mean it's very good. 
Yes, it means any good. Boondock Saints movie. Boondock Saints. <laughs> However, just because something isn't any good doesn't mean it isn't enjoyable. Oh, okay. So, here we are. So, uh, quick piece of film news before we start off. You know Ava DuVernay? Uh, she made Selma. Okay, yeah. Remember her? Yeah. She also made a wrinkle in time, but let's not hold that against her. Yeah, okay. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. So, wrinkle in time. Anyway, um, turns out that for like a year, she's been secretly doing a documentary Ooh. about Prince. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Who knew? So, that's coming. Look out for that. Looking forward to that. I know. I would. I, how much would you kill to see a Prince documentary? Oh, Prince. Is- I'll be honest with you. I, I'd murder you right here and right now just to see Prince's Super Bowl performance again. Because I don't know about this, I don't know if you know this, but Prince was very protective of his recordings. Yeah, yeah. So, like, as soon as his performance had gone out in the Super Bowl, he, he kind of claimed all of those recordings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he, he, has, he has mics in his actual toilet. He's the man. No, he literally had mics in his toilet. Like, I don't know if you knew that, but, yeah. Prince had every room in his house in Minnesota wired for sound, complete with a plaque that said, this room is wired for sound. Sometimes you sing in weird places. That's actually why Prince would just like to be, you know, sat on the can thinking, I got an idea for a song. (laughs) And he'd just just do it. I really hope he had guitars everywhere as well. (laughs) Just within reach. Dude was Prince. Of course he had (laughs) guitars in his bathroom. Come on. (laughs) Right, let's talk about Black Mother really quickly. Uh, So this is a documentary. In some circles, this is actually called Jamaica, Black Mother. Right. Right, so this is a documentary about... Well, I'm I'm trying to think how to describe it. I think it's described in its own press notes as a sonnet and three poems. Okay. Um, It is a very conceptual documentary. And I tell you what, I'm just going to tell you it's about, uh, you know, Jamaican mother and about, you know, the culture in Jamaica. Here's a clip and I'll, I'll fill you in after. Third trimester. Come on, show the baby and get to the pain. Come, show the baby and get to the pain. Come, show the baby and get to the pain. You're not pushing my stream. I am. No, you're doing it there, please. This is where babies die. Come, show the baby. Don't stop. That, incidentally, is from the trailer. Oh. And, uh, right, it's one of those films that, obviously, that's accompanied by very powerful imagery Yeah, the trailer. The film is very much about powerful imagery. Okay. And in terms of its poetic... I want to say soul, but that kind of is the word that works. In terms of its poetic soul, it absolutely delivers on that. What it's not, however, is brilliantly coherent. Now, the first, I would say, quarter of this deals particularly with the culture and the evolution of the culture of the Jamaican people. And I was riveted by this. There was stuff in there that I didn't know. I was fascinated. Just seeing how different elements of... Because, obviously, Jamaican culture is one of those things that we just we kind of take it for granted. Obviously, on the outside, we can't take it for granted because it's always there. Yeah. It's just it's kind of a fab- part of the fabric of our pop culture is Jamaican culture. And it's very, very interesting to see how that culture came to light, to see the extent to which religion fed into the creation of that culture, the extent to which slavery and the exportation of an entire people fed into that culture, how British rule is contingent. That stuff, I thought, was absolutely profound. The things in there, I thought... I, I, I didn't consider, I was absolutely blown away. Once it became the poem, 
I started to have issues. Once it took its eye off of the day-to-day real world of Jamaican culture, once it took its eye off of what made Jamaican culture what it was, I thought it lost its way quite a bit. Right. And I never quite managed to get hold of it again. I mean, I stuck it through to the end. I was, you know, there in the screening room. But I, I didn't, I stuck it through to the end. But I just, I just never quite gelled with it once it let, I don't want to say, I was just saying the anthropology of it. Once it let, once it let the, the anthropology of it go. And it, I think once it tried to become current and once it tried to become more, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> <sighs> Conceptual? I suppose conceptual. It's a very conceptual documentary. Okay. It's a documentary that is, is not really rooted in the tangent. Right. In the tangible tangent. Uh, tangible. And I struggled with it a great deal at that point. But having said that, I think when it does work, or when it's in those earlier scenes, and it does explore those aspects, I think it's genuinely phenomenal. I just think it loses its way later on. I found that quite a shame. Does it, do you think it loses because... It started off so good. Well, there is that element to it. I think there is the element of you, they have literally put their best foot forward with it. Right, yeah. And it's a best foot they never quite managed to recover. Oh. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Mr. Coulson, one last ride. So, uh, how do you feel about slaughterhouses? Um... I mean, they're not my favourite places. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really much of an abattoir guy myself. Um, but, however, this is not your run-of-the-mill abattoir. This is, in fact, a school that just happens to be named Slaughterhouse. Oh, OK. Right. Funny story, uh, a friend of mine co-wrote this. Oh, cool. With uh, the director and co-writer, who's the former, former leader of Cooler Shaker. Nice. So, we live in a very weird world. Very, very weird world. So, um, this is the story of an elite private school called the Slaughterhouse School, which is presided over by headmaster Michael of Sheen, a.k.a. Tony Blair. (laughs) (laughs) The guy we recognise more as Tony Blair than Tony Blair. Well, yeah. Yeah, because he spent more time on screen being Tony Blair. (laughs) Because he did it better. (laughs) Yeah, also, the the results were better when Michael Sheen did it. Anyway. (laughs) So, um, you have a young man played by Finn Cole, who I think is meant to be from Doncaster. Uh, His dad has recently passed away. As part of his inheritance, his mum arranges uh, to pay to send him to an elite private school. The Kens the Clover title. Um, to which he goes, he's immediately viewed as an outcast, a poor person. He, he gets a little circle of friends, outcast friends, as, okay. you, as you do. Nice. And uh, he falls victim to, you know, the usual school hazing or so. However, this is a school that has recently set up its own fracking station. Oh. As one does. It's, it's an elite private school. It's, it looks like a country club. <laughs> it's, it's in the middle of, like, four acres of massive woodland estates. Oh, okay. We're told the school has been built in the umpteenth century by Lord Slaughterhouse, etc. This this will come up later in the film, don't worry. Um, however, they're fracking. They're fracking, you know. Mm. And that fracking... Well, if you've ever seen the movie Monster Trucks, uh, this has allowed a race of primitive feral creatures... Feral? Feral creatures? Feral? Feral creatures to burrow their way to the surface and, wouldn't you know it, pick off them pupils one by one. As you do. Here's a clip. Cheer up, Ducky. It's not all that bad. At least you've got me. So, I'm not going home then. We thought you'd be grounded. Tough luck, boys. You going home for the weekend? To Hong Kong? 
be ridiculous. I'm playing in a chess tournament in Beijing. Really? When? Five minutes. Better run. Hey, Don. You could always hook up with Clemsy. Clemsy? She's staying too. Oh, my God. She's here. A weekend alone in paradise with Clemsy Lawrence. Come on, ducky. Grow up. She's Clemsy Lawrence. Of Belgravia. Who the hell are you? Thanks, mate. Just being honest. I'm not going to lie, by the end of the movie, I was in love with Clemsy Lawrence as well, but Hermione Caulfield, if you're wondering. Okay. <laughs> Remember the, uh, the hacker chick from Triple X3? No. Returns under cage. You're the only person that watched that film. Well, I'm pretty sure that like most of Southeast Asia also watched that film. It made money somewhere. Anyway, so, um, yeah, Slaughterhouse Rules. So, this has a very kind of a weird tone to it, as in it veers between several tones. So, on the one hand, it wants to be Attack the Block. And on the other hand, it wants to be Zip and Zap of the Marble Gang. And somewhere in the middle is a sort of faculty light. Oh, if you can imagine yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And when it eventually settles in the middle, with a couple of directorial flares that veer kind of in the direction of Edgar Wright and, and Shaun of the Dead, things like that, it makes sense. Now, that is not unintentional, because this is the first film produced by Nick Pegg and Simon Frost under their new production company, Salt Stolen Picture. Yes. Yes. Now, I, I had a good time with it. I enjoyed it very much. The stuff in it, I think, does not work. There is, for instance, Simon Pegg is obviously in this film, as is Nick Frost, and there's a celebrity cameo as a result of that that you do feel is there for that reason. Like, there is no reason they got that person otherwise. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but... Yeah, it's 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 not Henry's son Charlie, by the way, who does turn up as, as Michael Sheen's uh, like student assistant. Okay. And I think I might be the only person in Britain besides Henry to whoop and cheer at, at Charlie. But uh, yeah, hell's yeah, Charlie, rock on. Anyway, uh, I had a good time with it. I really did. It is gory as hell. Oh, good. It is really violent at times. It is really extreme. It really knows where it wants to go. However, it struggles getting there. When it does get there kind of in the third act, though, it works. The third act of this really works. There's a song, for instance, a musical beat at the very, very end that you just think, that's exactly how you end this. That is the only way you end this movie, with that track right there. And the track, incidentally, I think is actually in one of the trailers. Okay. Which is one of those rare times that that ever actually happens. Um, I thought it was was good fun. I I don't think it's an amazing film. And I'm aware I'm saying that about a film that dude I know about. But, yeah, but, yeah it's, it's, I don't think it's an amazing film, but I think it's very good. I think it's, I think it's enjoyable. I think it's a film. Do you remember those ITV 90s programs? Things like Wolf. Yeah. And things like that about the kid who became a dog. You know that tone? Yeah. Right. Imagine someone asked Edgar Wright to make one of those. Right. Right. Edgar Wright made a Wolf movie. Okay. Slaughterhouse Rules. That's what you got. Okay. That is absolutely what this movie is. It is an ITV 4pm series that has been adapted for 15-year-olds and gored up accordingly. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of horror homage jokes in there. Well, that, because of the guys that are involved. Because it? of the guys that are involved. And you think, you know, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, you know, you got the guys who are behind the lines. Okay, yeah, I can see why you do that. I mean, there's a moment in which a character just offhandedly says, yeah, they're coming to get you. 
you're like, you're just missing the word Barbara, but I know that's what you meant. And I think it might be, it might be Nick Frost that did it, but there's loads of stuff in there that really works. They've got a young, you know, arsehole prefect who just plays like a young peroxide Martin Socas. Okay. If you ever saw the, uh, the Equalizer, I think it was the villain of the first Equalizer movie. Um, the stuff like that I think really works. Michael Sheen, hamming it up, lots of fun. When is he not when he's hamming it up? Yeah, exactly. Simon Pegg, little bit overexposed. How dare you? Little bit. And uh, there is, there is a production story having to do with Mission Impossible, which is why they have a lot more Simon Pegg than they would have. Okay. Because obviously delays and things like that. Um, but it, it works. The film largely works. It kind of plays like, remember that sort of, public school offshoot of Doctor Who they tried last year. It was called Class. No. No. Well, they did try it, and they're not trying it again, <laughs> but they did try it. Now, if you combine that with the faculty, Halloween H2O, anything like horror movie, gory horror movie set up public school, this is what you get. Okay. With a bit of zip and the app of the Marvel gang. And monster um, trucks. And monster trucks a teeny bit of attack the block, oh, but hopefully not. Much. Which also started Doctor Who. So there you go. Aha! Oh, yeah. uh-huh. See, so it all comes full circle. Yeah, clever. Okay, so there you go. So mm-hmm. casual. I recommend. I think you know if you're like a you know, if you're like a 15 year old boy, I think this is probably the ultimate movie. Yeah. But yeah. and also, I'm just going to be really honest. I mean, the movie features Hermione Caulfield in underwear beating a monster to death against a rock. Which, if that had simply been the log line for the movie, I'd have probably been first in line on opening day. As it happens, I was there at the first screening on opening day, but that was not the reason why. <laughs> anyway, beside the point, it's not film of the week. Oh, what? Well, well, I don't know, I think Juliet Naked. Film of the week. Gotta yeah. be. Gotta be. I really enjoyed Juliet Naked. You sound like you really did. So. I really did. I thought Ethan Hawke was great, you know. <laughs> and I can't remember the last time I thought, ah, Ethan Hawke, great. Because usually I just think, eh, he's Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the funniest thing about Ethan Hawke is that, oh my God, it's Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Joke from Family Guy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> which is about the most notable thing about Ethan Hawke. But, Juliet Naked. Also a notable thing about Ethan Hawke this week. Anyway, so uh, make of that what you will. Yeah. Yeah. Next week, let me pull up the calendar and see what we've got because our new paperwork, for some reason, doesn't allow me to know that down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we did not think that one through, did we? So, next week, we've got a reissue, would you believe, of 9 to 5. Okay. The Dolly Parton, yeah, that one. Uh, We've got Wildlife, we've got Waru, we've got Overlord, which I believe we mentioned earlier. A little bit. Uh, We've got a documentary, Bras, After the Screaming Stops. Oh. Presumably, the screaming is from anyone made to listen to Bros. Um, we've also got uh, Three Days to Kyberon, we've got Maker's Dream, and last but certainly by no means least, Benedict Cumberbatch is The Grinch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is coming. The Grinch is back, which means it's now been 17 years. No. 17, 18 years since I saw Jim Carrey on opening night in City World play The Grinch. 18 years. It was 2000? Christmas 2000 was The Grinch. Uh, yeah. I still really like that film. I still really like that movie as well. I love Christine Baranski in it. But uh, you do that thing where you say a name and you look at me and I one of your the t- name. One of the two girl BFFs from Mamma Mia. Would that work for you? No, of course it wouldn't work for me. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I know you've never seen Hostile Hostages. So, or the yeah, slash the ref. Uh, Christy Bros. She was in Sybil for many years. 
No, I did actually see someone. Did you actually see someone? <laughs> she was Sybil's best friend. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we had to go with this. Yeah, so um, <laughs> got all those to come and more next week off screen. In the meanwhile, this has been the Candy Store production of Movie Market. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we shall return. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, cut. Podcast extras. Always fun, aren't they? They're the best. <laughs> so, you know, it's been 20 minutes since I talked about Marvel. Uh, okay. <laughs> Did I talk about Marvel 20 minutes ago? <laughs> I like to talk about Marvel every 20 minutes, otherwise we might forget they exist. Yeah, well, it's, yeah you know, mm. I mean, this room doesn't... Doesn't have any reminders. No, no, there are no reminders in my living room. There's a giant Iron Man head mounted to the mirror. Your coasters. In my, oh, they're arc reactors. They are literally light up arc reactors, my, my coasters. The fact that they light up is hilarious. I know, they've got that wonderful button underneath, but, uh, <laughs> and you know, you can't buy those in the UK. I had to import those. You say it like you had no other option. I had to import them. I had to import those. <laughs> there were arc reactor coasters in the world and I didn't own them. <laughs> Okay, that's unacceptable. Okay, okay. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Although, I will say this. Right, you know I, I produce the podcast. Yes. Obviously. I, I produce uh, The Climax with uh, uh, with Angelica Mail from uh, About Time mm-hmm. and Rebecca Reed, who um, is... If there's ever a feminism topic on, like, Good Morning Britain or This Morning, they get her on. Okay. U- usually because she will start an argument on Twitter about 30 seconds later. Nice. Yeah. She's brilliant at that. There's no one in the world better than that. But she did put a thing out yesterday. And I, 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 I love Bex. I love her to death. And we, uh, we, we, have, we do have a discourse on Twitter. We, we love to sort of do that thing. And she put this, I just bought a 90 quid candle ornament. What? And, uh, I took the piss a little bit, I will admit. Well, yeah. And I was like, well, oh my God, I'm going to up my rates. But, uh, I'm not, obviously. But then I thought, actually, I'm kind of a hypocrite. You're going to be paid in candles from now on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the candelabras are nothing. <laughs> but I did sort of think, actually, I spend more than 90 quid on Iron Man merchandise per week. Like, there's an arc reactor in some form or other in every room of my house. I always give you a lot of stick for the Iron Man thing, and then mm. I remember that, you know... You have, a, like, a signed Joe Rogan poster? No, like, four things in my house. Yeah, but I buy you those. Yeah, I know, but my, cat, my cat's <laughs> called Odin. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but the other one's called Levy. Yeah, rock, rock god, Norse god, what's wrong with that? My, my dog's named after uh, Agent Coulson's car, so... Well, Agent Coulson's named after my uncle, so, yeah. Well, that's why I've always called you son of Col. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, you're going to love this. This broke this morning. Shoot. Okay. You know that Disney launched in their own streaming platform. Yeah, and that's why they keep cancelling things, because they're going to put it on and they don't No, actually, okay. they might. That might be a factor, but actually it's not. Okay. So, Luke Cage and Iron Fist being cancelled seems to be down to Netflix. I think Kelly and I talked about, talked about this last week, I think. All right. Uh, Netflix have made that decision. Now, that actually, the explanation for that has also come out today. Iron Fist sucked. No. Okay. It wasn't even that, because the second season's a lot better than the first. Yeah, but that's still crap. Bear in mind that Netflix do not release their viewer figures. No, yeah, they don't. So someone else did it for them. Oh. Someone else monitored it. Naughty. I forget the details, but um, Iron Fist and Luke Cage's second seasons, respectively, earned something like a third of what Daredevil's second season made. 
Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, bear in mind, of course, second season of Daredevil had the Punisher and Electra. Let's not talk about the Electra bit. Okay, let's not talk. It had the Punisher. Oh, yeah. It had the put, And that's awesome. And then the Punisher got a series, which is also awesome. It's and then so he's got good. a second season coming out, um, which is going to be awesome. Why, are some people still alive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's people out there the Punisher hasn't killed. <laughs> but also, incidentally, can I just point out my issue with the third season of Daredevil? I haven't right. seen it yet, so... Well, I know you haven't, but the third season of Daredevil is a loose adaptation of Born Again by Frank Miller. Oh, right. Which, I think I've talked about this on the show previously, uh, which I adore. I adore Born Again. I think I read it for the first time in, like, 99, 2000, thereabouts. It was really we were sort of going to get a Daredevil movie, and then, we, like, four years later, we eventually did, and it wasn't brilliant. Then we got a director's cut that actually was kind of good. You still made me watch it, though, didn't you? Twice, I think. Yeah, I mean, you watched both versions. Um, no. no, no, yes. I think I made you watch both versions. Yeah, because we argued about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you told yeah. me to shut up. <laughs> most of our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, but that was the whole thing. So Daredevil's got his third season, and my whole thing was it, it's meant to be like him, like the kingpin's ruining his life, and he's put a fake Daredevil out in the world. Who's, who's Bullseye? You know, it's Bullseye in the Daredevil costume. He's ruining his life. He's ruining his reputation. And I'm sort of thinking, okay, the moral quandary here is I can't bring myself to kill the kingpin. Just a thought. Hmm. Three of the main characters in this series, all of whom are being victimed by this person, are victimised by this person, have the Punisher's phone number... The Punisher kills people relentlessly and has an axe to grind with the kingpin. Uh, uh, okay, fair, fair. fair. But it is the it is, it is the why didn't Iron Man just call Thor for the third act of Iron Man three argument? So yeah, you know, this, not, neither yeah. here nor there. You've got that, and you know the Hulk. Like, come on. Yeah, why is the why is the Hulk not there in the third act of Iron Man three in the shipping? Like, I know, I know, but. Still, it's like, why don't you just call the goddamn Punisher? Anyway, so okay. they're launching their own streaming platform. That's the point. Disney are launching a streaming platform. Right. Have you even begun to look into what's going to be on this thing? No. Right. I'm going to blow your mind. So, do you remember the Mighty Ducks? Yes. Coming back. Awesome. As a TV show. Awesome. Reboot call. Awesome. Okay. That's happening. I'm in. Okay. We're getting an Office-style mockumentary series adaptation of High School Musical. That's happening. I'm out. I'm in. I'm out. No, no, I'm in, because that's actually what High School Musical needed, rather than being a music, rather than being a straight musical. That I can get on board with. No, it needed stopping. <laughs> <laughs> I've met your missus, you forget. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard her comments on Zac Efron. None of them are appropriate for broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Um, you've got The Mandalorian, which is Jean Favreau's Star Wars series. Oh, all right. Which is going to be about a member of Boba Fett's race. And it's going to be set just before Force Awakens. Oh, you've been talking about that. Yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. that. Uh, we've got the live-action adaptation of Beauty and the... Uh, not Beauty, uh, Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, why? Because Tessa Thompson is, is available. So, shut up. Okay. <laughs> That's the rule. Um, we've also, then... Got some Marvel shows. I mean, bear in mind, you've also got, like, uh, the final season of Clone Wars, final season of Star Wars Clone Wars, which have a huge fan base. Okay. That's that's getting done. That's going to be on Disney's... I think it's called Disney Play or Disney Life, one or the other. Um, then you've got the Marvel shows. So, we've already talked about, we're getting a Loki show, we're getting a Scarlet Witch show. 
Now, we knew we were going to get more shows. Yeah. They've announced one. Okay. And they've proved me wrong, actually. They have really proved me wrong. So, first of all, there was a rumour that at some point we're getting a Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury show. Right, yeah, yeah. Bear in mind, these shows are intended to be like eight episodes. Yeah. Right, eight episodes starring the film actors. Kevin Feige will be producing them. They are officially MCU shows. This is not that Daredevil shit. Okay. This is not the, uh, we'll put Stark Tower on the poster, but we're really not that committed. Mm-hmm. None of that, the incident nonsense. None of that bullshit. No. This, these are Marvel shows. Cool. Eight episode Marvel miniseries. <laughs> Loki's gonna get one. Kinda hope Kate Blanchett turns up in it in some capacity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she won't. But, we're getting a Scarlet Witch show, as we've already been told. Paul Bettany's gonna be in it. Sweet. As Vision. Sweet. So, yeah. I mean, if it's set after Infinity War, great, I suppose. You know what I'm more interested in? Those two years they were running around and having it off in Scottish hotels. Yeah. Yeah, kind of want to see that. <laughs> could it, you know, yeah, could. yeah, if that's the log line. Could be a little X-rated. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> two years of running around and having it off in Scottish hotels. Yeah. As one does. A little un-Disney. <laughs> they then announced the third show, and this is where they proved me wrong, because my money was on that third show being Valkyrie Corgan Meek. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was, now, yeah, it was, yeah. I'm not saying that won't still happen, because Taika Waititi has been spending a lot of time at Marvel Studios. Okay. A lot of time. For no reason. No one knows why. Except Taika Waititi and Marvel. So, you know, maybe it'll happen. I hope it does. (laughs) But that third series we're getting, brace yourself, Bucky and Falcon. What? Yep. Bucky and Falcon, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie are getting a TV show together. Really? Yep, that's happening. It's going to be awesome. That's isn't it? Gets better. So Sebastian Stan has then turned around and said, "This this is going to be like a, a goddamn eighties nineties action buddy comedy." That's how I'm seeing it. This is a Martin Brest picture. I'm like, hell's yeah. Although, didn't Martin Brest also direct Geely? Anyway, never mind. It's beside the point. But, yeah. So, a buddy comedy series. I do really like those two. I do. I do. Civil War. Would you mind moving your seat forward? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I love that. I want to see... That's Civil War, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Civil War. I, I, I can't wait to see... My biggest regret about Infinity War is Falcon and Bucky didn't even exchange a line. No. Oh. You know? Yeah. Such a waste. White Wolf, Falcon, on the battlefield together. Falcon had more interaction with Rhodey. Yeah. You know? Falcon's so cool. Falcon is so cool. But, so, funny thing about that, I kind of feel like that's come about because of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Oh, just because those two are cool. Well, not only are those two cool, those two are cool together. Yeah. Like, they seem to hang out. They, uh, they, they do interviews together. Like, I did the press junket for the Winter Soldier years ago. Yeah. And <laughs> there's a funny story about, I'll tell you off mic about that, that press junket, because we wound up with a very awkward recording from some of the journalists that we had to delete and forget ever existed, although we still have a copy. Anyway, um, but, uh, the thing we noticed was we had a long table. We had the uh, the, the Winter Soldier cast, and we noticed that they, they tended to form into pockets. All right. And Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan were definitively one. And uh, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. They're a lot... Like, I, I didn't give a shit that Chris Evans was in the room. At all. Oh, well. Like, Captain America and Black Widow, in the room, didn't care. 
Didn't care at all. Oh, God. No, eh, not at all. I've got the next great white hope and Will Smith sat right there. <laughs> you know, and they're awesome. They are. <laughs> and it was it was great. It was great fun. I had a lot of fun listening just to those two. And I've watched every every time there's been a Marvel yeah, yeah. junket since. Every time you see the interview footage, you always see Anthony Mackie and, and Sebastian Stan. So them doing a series together, I'm all in on. Yeah, I'm, I'm in, all in on. I'm, in. I'm annoyed that I wasn't right and it wasn't, you know, Valkyrie Corgan Meek. But uh, it could still happen. It could still happen. It could yeah. still happen. So should. Should and she's alive. They're alive. They got off that ship. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Taika Waititi has said they got off that ship. That's all that matters. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> also, why do a Samuel L. Jackson series? We have Agents of Shield. Yeah. He's been in that. Yeah. It's owned by Disney. Yeah. I mean, except for the fact that Marvel hate their own like non MCU creations. Except for the fact that that was. But oh, hang on, Ike Perlmutter. That's what it is. See? Oh, because Ike Perlmutter runs Marvel Entertainment. You see? Right. Okay. Ike Perlmutter runs uh, you know, the general Marvel comics and merchandise and all that stuff. And Kevin Feige runs the movies. Okay. Okay. So the idea was Kevin Feige worked for Ike Perlmutter, only to discover that Ike Perlmutter was kind of a cheap son of a bitch and, and didn't like women. Right. So basically he would cut corners on the movies and refuse to make girl action figures. Right. Yeah, because as far as he was concerned, no one gave a toss about Black Widow. Okay. That's why there were no Black Widow action figures. Oh. So, uh, Kevin Feige, a couple of years ago, went to Disney and said, yo, I hate this dude. Like, he, he, if y'all want really good movies, like, just, just cut him out, man. Like, I'll work for you. Like, I'm all about you. I'm all about the house of mouse. You know, we'll do this. And, and, and Disney were like, yeah, hell's yeah. Yeah, I'll just let him do his own thing. Okay. And, oh, he wants to do Inhumans? Let him do Inhumans. Like, mm. we ain't, we ain't doing that. Like, cause that was his big thing as well, because he hated the fact that Fox had the X-Men. Right. And he really wants to do Mutants. Oh, okay, okay. So he greenlit a, an Inhumans movie that nobody had any, like, seriously, if you released an Inhumans movie, which incidentally should be out next year if we were doing their original plan. Right. In fact, no, it should be this year. It was phase three. It was before Infinity War 2. We were getting Inhumans. Right. Right, we were getting Inhumans, like Captain Marvel, like yeah. close together. So when Captain Marvel's out, just spare a thought for the Inhumans. Because they did get a movie released in cinemas. It sucked ass. I thought we got a TV show. They did get a TV show. They also got a 90-minute pilot filmed in IMAX and released in cinemas. Oh, right. Yeah. I was there opening night. I was there first screening of Inhumans. Nobody showed up. There were me and four nerds. So five nerds then. So five nerds. <laughs> five nerds. I was the most fuckable person in that screen. Do you know how hard you have to try for me to be the most fuckable person in a cinema screen? Seriously? Five nerds. Anyway. Beside <laughs> the point. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's how in, that's how humans work. <laughs> but uh, so Ike Perlmutter doesn't run Marvel shows, Marvel movies anymore. Right. He does run the shows though. Okay. So Marvel movies, Marvel studios started distancing themselves from Marvel. Right. Now this was only a one-way street. Marvel shows, Marvel Entertainment, hmm. however, were always optimistic. They always wanted to bridge the gap. Yeah. They always thought they'd come back. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. obviously has continued. And every now and again, they do chuck in a little reference. Yeah, to yeah. the incident. Uh-huh. 
No, no, no. That was the that was the Netflix show. That's still Marvel Entertainment, but that is the Netflix show. Oh, what did it? Like Agents of Shield, for instance, does refer to the Battle of New York. That, yeah, they, for obvious reasons, Agent Coulson, etc. Yeah, yeah. When Age of Ultron rolled around, the crossover that year. Bear in mind how brilliant the crossover is in the first season of Agents of Shield. And I am talking about Bill Paxton turning up, Hydra being a thing. It's amazing. That first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Just, like, skip the first 11... The first 11 episodes are good. Yeah. But you can skip them. Skip to, like, episode 11. As soon as they bring Bill Paxton in, that's the show you need to watch. Yeah, it gets good. It does, yeah. yeah. Pretty much about the point they start figuring out how Coulson is not dead. Yeah. Which, again... Ties into, you know, the mythology, and Captain Marvel's going to be a very big part of that. Okay. Anyway. But when Bill Paxton turns up, he that that's the mythology. That's Hydra. So, after that, though, they never got to do that crossover again. Season 2 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has supposedly an Age, uh, Age of Ultron uh, crossover. That crossover is literally explaining how Samuel L. Jackson got a helicarrier. Right. You know, at the end of Age of Ultra, he shows up on a helicarrier. Yeah. He got it from Coulson. Oh. Yeah. Season three... I'd bailed at this point, I think. Yeah, season three, I can't even remember any goddamn more. And season four, I think Doctor Strange was out, so they just did some magic stuff and introduced Ghost Rider. Yeah. Yeah. And they acknowledged the events of Civil War. That was it. Oh, okay. that, that, Civil War happened. Sokovia Accords briefly mentioned that's it and they've kind of stopped there however at the end of the very very last season they did keep mentioning some strange things going on in new york Uh. you know some strange events i wonder what's going to happen in new york very very briefly at the very very end of the season a season that then had a surprisingly happy ending that's kind of undone when you consider that somewhere about half an hour later those people who enjoyed that happy ending, presumably half of them turned into dust. Spoil. Well, it's it's been like eight months since Still. Age of Ultron. I just like calling you out on spoilers, you know. Look, if someone hasn't seen Age of Ultron in November 2018, fuck them. Okay, seriously, that movie made $2 billion. It's aggressive, but all right. No, 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 no I'm sorry. <laughs> that movie made $2 billion. Can we just assume, since there are about was it 7 or 8 billion people in the world now? I'm not sure what the population of the Earth is now. The last time I knew the population of the Earth, it was 6.5 billion. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but that's it. We just assume that at least a third of the people on planet Earth have seen Infinity War. My goddamn father has seen Infinity War. <laughs> I, he I mean, he hated it. <laughs> he hated it. He thought he could not enjoy any scene that had the Guardians in it because he thought it was ridiculous. Please tell me he called it nonsense or rubbish. No, he did the same thing he did during Civil War. I can't follow who all these people are. <laughs> There's too many of these people now. Everyone everyone has a fucking robot suit. <laughs> Literally, what's it? What's the fucking robot suit? What is this? I'm like, there's three, of, there's, three of, there's three people in an Iron Man suit. How does this work for you? And then as soon as everyone starts battling in Wakanda, kind of, oh, I like the, 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 the black cat man. He's good. He's good. I like the black cat man. Oh, no. He called him the black cat king. That was what it was. The black cat king. I like the black cat king. He's good. He's good. I like the black king. I love your impression of your dad. It's Only because you know it's goddamn accurate. <laughs> the Black Cat King. That's what my dad calls the Black Panther. That's what we will call it from now on. From now on, yeah. <laughs> Remember when we discovered that Catman existed in the DC universe? Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that because we had 
like a lot of fun laughing about it. We did, because he was crap. <laughs> but <laughs> Catman exists in the DC universe. And we had a good laugh about that for about two weeks. Yeah, we? yeah. <laughs> Solid two weeks. <laughs> it's like when we thought about mapping the Maze Runner into a gay porn parody. Well, that one lasted a while. It lasted quite a while. It was easy as well. I'll, I'll be really honest. That parody would have been better than literally any of those sequels. Hey, but... porn parodies happen for everything, so... Just very, it's very true. It's very true. Anyway, so um, I, I mentioned about the Marvel thing, yeah, Bucky thing, uh, uh, Vision, that's happening. Yeah, we've done three shows. <laughs> right, you know the uh, you know the Birds of Prey movie? Do you know what Birds of Prey are? No. So Birds of Prey is the girl team from the DC universe. Oh, I'm out of DC stuff. Are you out of DC yeah. stuff? Is it by any chance because they keep putting out movies that just blow chunks? Yeah, and everything's dark. Everything's in the rain. Everything's slightly too long. The trailers are pointless. It's crap. I'm not. I'm not a fan. Yeah, but they had been in Rhapsody and more. Yeah, I mean that's apparently a badge of honor now. So you know. <laughs> if Guardians does well, you got it. But is, is it like is it like the um, the Canary? Yeah, yeah, like Black Canary and Oracle and lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huntress and, and for some reason Harley Quinn. Anyway, so they have a villain. Okay. A black mask. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Just a villain behind a metal mask. It doesn't matter who you cast because you only need to cast them as a voiceover role effectively. You can get Ray Parks to do the shit in live action and just dub it after the fact. I would guess that they've gone and gotten for this one. Who, who would you get to do a role so thankless? Um, Oprah Winfrey. It's an excellent choice. I'm not going to lie. You and McGregor, who's they actually went for? Yeah. Why? I. I know. I mean, I ask that of most times that you and McGregor is cast. If I'm honest. Hey. They, they... Yep. You're trying to think of a good one, aren't you? Trying to think. There's got to be something I like. Him. I mean, Christopher Robin was all right. Yeah. It was. Train spotting. Yeah, Trace. I only saw that recently for the first time. You. Yeah. You, the sentient entity I have known and been friends with for like yeah. a decade and a half. You've, you've only just seen. In the past two years. Past, past two years, yeah. You only saw the first one, right? Instead of the I've not seen the second one yet. Yeah, keep it that way. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Shallow Grave, also very good. I recommend that. Uh, Senseless. I quite like Senseless. Ava Green. Looks like it was made for an iMovie trailer, but it was it's really good. Everyone starts to lose their senses one by one. All right. Like the world, they lose the sight, then lose the smell, then lose the taste. Yeah, yeah. Sounds awful. I think they start with death, I think. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so Ewan McGregor's going to be Black Mask. Okay. Because, eh. I, don't, I really don't care about the DC stuff anymore. Yeah, I don't. I mean, have you seen the Aquaman trailer? No, because... Because Cause it's 25 minutes long? Well, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's something like five minutes fifty long, or some nonsense like probably five sixteen. And he sucked. Oh, it was crap in Justice League, wasn't it? Justice League's crap. Well, Justice League is crap. But uh, have you seen? Speaking of DC, have you seen? You know, Henry Cavill. Yes. Has joined uh, the Netflix adaptation of a video game called Witcher. Yeah, The Witcher. The Witcher is it? The Witcher. Yeah. Okay, right. So the well, first. Actually, well, um, I don't know. Witcher. Well, is there a definitive? I don't know. Be definitive, Colson. I don't know. For Christ's sake, we don't play for much. Be definitive. <laughs> <laughs> so. um... <laughs> If that was your only job role, <laughs> oh, I'll have a coffee. I think you'll find you'll have some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
anyway, back to the point. Um, so Henry Cavill's going to be in The Witcher. I, I, I don't know the name of the character. Geralt, Gevel, Garalt, something like that. But they've put a picture out. <laughs> right. Now, you and I know Calvin. Yeah, it's very, the, very it's well. The Witcher. It's The Witcher, right. So you and I know Calvin, so we know, like, hardcore nerds. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I don't think you get any more hardcore nerd than Calvin. I've seen his bedroom. There's not a square inch of the thing that isn't covered in Harley Quinn. There really isn't. His girlfriend's underwear drawer is literally covered in Harley Quinn stuff. And I mean, no, no, really, exactly, covered in Harley Quinn stuff. I've asked. There are pictures. He's not shown. Anyway, um, (laughs) he's going to hear this and be like, well, I'd have given him more details than that if he'd let me know. But, um, yeah, so... Hardcore nerd, big fan of, of Witcher, The Witcher, whatever the hell it is. The Witcher. It's like one game of the year and everything. It's is it one game of the That doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I just, I literally know that it is a game that exists on a platform. It's, for people who like that sort of game, it's in, it's incredible. It's, what is it? Is it like Tomb Raider with magic? No, um, but, yeah, it's, yeah, you fight like monsters <laughs> and stuff. It's a god, it's a god of war, then. No. No? You don't fight gods. Uh, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the pictures come out of him as this Geralt, Gevel, whatever the hell. Um, you say it right first time. Did why, I? Why Geralt? Is it Geralt? Yeah. Oh, Geralt. 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 Gerald. Gerald. His name's Dave. His name's Dave. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, might as well be. He's, they've got this 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 character poster of him. Yeah. And it's you know the slick back, long grey hair, yeah. grey wizard cloak or whatever the hell it is. I mean, and <laughs> and the thing is, right, he's clean shaven. And a few people have noted, Calvin included, yeah. that uh, he's lacking a beard. Yeah, he is, yeah. And I can't help but wonder if that might have anything to do with the last time that Henry Cavill played a role and facial hair came up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember when he, he was going to be Superman and they filmed it and they needed to film it again? Yeah. And he happened to have a beard. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, he's supposed to have... His, I mean, it's not like an epic beard or anything. It's stubble beard, isn't it? It's just, yeah, it's just a beard. But it adds, it's, it's a Stephen Amell beard, is it, what it is. It adds, but it's great. Adds, yeah, it adds, yeah, but it adds you know, it adds to his sort of, like, haggard. He's a bit scarred up and stuff. Out of interest, by the way, I have, like, a... I keep my, my facial hair exactly five millimetres. Wow. Uh, very specific shaver, man. <laughs> um, so I have the shaver. It has an adjustable dial. Could I pull off a green arrow costume? I mean, aside from the fact that I'm chubby as fuck, could I pull off a green arrow costume? I mean, I've seen you in a onesie, so I'm going to say yes. For the record, that was in a million ways to die in the West onesie. And I looked badass in it. Okay, that was a good onesie. A red onesie with white piping and a sheriff's badge. Come on, show some due diligence. And we spent we had a great day in that onesie. Yeah, the pajama day. Not like together, we weren't like together in the onesie. You mentioned the pajama day with on Case's last show, did I? Yeah, you were like, "We'll do it next pajama day," and I was like, "Mate, if I don't get an invite to that, like, me and Kelly, <laughs> well, you need one." But like this year, there's not just a dog; there's a dog and a baby. Yeah, yeah. So also because the baby's born, I think I'm expected to go home for Christmas. Not sure. Uh, you yeah. can come. We can make it. Work. I mean, no, no, no. I'll be I'll be home the twenty sixth as always, huh. but. Uh, we don't overdo Christmas in my house. No. It's pretty much a case of just show up, get our product, go home. And <laughs> it's more of a business transaction. It's a, it's a business transaction with trimmings <laughs> and a happy version of my mother. But, hey, you know. Me and your mum are mates. You are. I mean, you can't fit under a doorway in her house. I know, because she lives in a tiny cut. Well, it's not tiny, but she lives in a First of all, it's a 16th century cottage. <laughs> And every single one of those doors is perfectly tailored to someone who is five foot two. 
but I'm not. Happens to be the exact height of my mother. <laughs> anyway, I think we have film shows. Yeah, yeah, it's a film show, isn't it? Right. So then that Hitman's Bodyguard sequel that we've been talking about is coming for years now. Yeah. You know, in like year and a half since that movie came out. Yeah. Well, there's been a sequel in development. We know this because they took it to Cannes okay. and, t- and tried to find investors there. It was called The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Oh, wow. Yeah. And guess what? What? Well, they've greenlit The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. That movie's apparently going to come out. All right. So it turns out that after announcing it, casting it, doing a mock poster for it and taking it to Cannes, they might actually goddamn make it. Oh, well, you know, it does seem like the next <laughs> the next step. So. What was that plan? PlayStation game with the white cover. It had a white cover and then in black pulp comic book art art ink. They had two characters who were hitmen, and there's one black guy, one white guy. It's a popular series on PlayStation, I'm told, like two assassins or something. Like Kane and Lynch, I think. Oh yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't that popular. But... They took that to Cam. Oh. As a movie. With a poster completely made up, starring Bruce Willis and Jamie Foxx. Oh. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we haven't uh, haven't seen the old uh, Keenan Lynch movie recently. No. Funny that. Anyway, it's almost as if this is nonsense. <laughs> Right, you know Tom Cruise. <clears throat> We're familiar with him, I assume. Uh, yeah, we hang out all the time. We hang out all the time. I think actually, while well, you're about how high are you? Six three. You're six three. Tom Cruise will just hang off you. Yeah, <laughs> how it works. Anyway, so uh, Tom Cruise has this this working relationship with Christopher McQuarrie. I don't know if you remember Christopher McQuarrie at all. No. Christopher McQuarrie. Well, I might do, but it's me and names. So. Yeah, he made. I believe he made his directorial debut on a film called The Way of the Gun. Okay. Which is a film that I still to this day maintain has the single best opening sequence of any movie in the history of cinema. I'm not exaggerating. Well, we should watch that. We will watch it after this. I will show you the clip. Okay. It's, it's on YouTube. You can just go on YouTube and type Way of the Gun opening. Yeah, I know how to use right. YouTube. No, 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 just that. You don't have to search anything specific. It's not like car scene. Yeah, all right, all right. Or yeah. that bit with the pickle, whatever that might be. But... I don't know. I don't know why I went there either. Pickle Rick. You, you've met me. I don't know. Well, I searched everywhere in London last weekend for a Pickle Rick pop figure. Could not fucking look. Do you know? No. I can find Rick in his ship. Can't find a Pickle Rick. God, I love me some Pickle Rick. Not tiny Rick, but Pickle Rick's pretty good. Anyway, beside the point. So, we, we did have... Oh, Chris McQuarrie. Yeah. He made Way of the Gun. Yeah. Check out that opening. It's goddamn extraordinary. Brilliant. I'm, it stars Sarah Silverman. Oh, know. cool. Sarah Silverman in one of her 90s act- uh, acting roles that oh. she did. Sarah Silverman tried acting for the last half of the 90s. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever see these Star Trek two-parters she turned up in? No. Oh, wow. There is a two-part episode of the third season of Star Trek Voyager in which, I swear to God, I'm making none of this up. Voyager, which is Voyager, which? The one with the woman captain. Janeway. Oh, no, the first one with the woman captain. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, I forgot to adjust for cultural inflation, then. Uh, Janeway. Yeah, the Janeway. You're the one that sucked for the first two years. And then it just became Next Jet. Okay. Yeah, well, sorry, it sucked for the first two years. It had, like, two-thirds of a decent third season... And then just became Next Generation and sucked for the rest of it. Okay. Although, half decent last two episodes. I liked Janeway. Well, I mean, she was foxy. <laughs> she was. Janeway was foxy. Ah, Lace, the final Brazier. You're not a Simpsons fan, are you? No. No, you hate that. You wouldn't get that. I'm sorry, I'm not used to presenting this show with anyone who doesn't 
encyclopedically know The Simpsons. I'm sorry. It's just like a prerequisite of like people under 35 now. Yeah. Because then they've been like five since The Simpsons started. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, beside the point. Um, yeah, they did a two-part episode of Star Trek Voyager in which the ship gets flung back to 1996. All right, cool. Their technology... Oh, sorry. In pursuit of a time ship that also goes back to 1996 that gets downed in 1969, because it comes out the time vortex like two minutes before them, so it goes forward decades. Okay. It crashes. A hippie discovers it. A hippie then uses the technology in the time ship and becomes fucking Bill Gates. Okay. And he's played... By Ed Begley Jr. Swear to God, not making it up. And they have to stop him from, like, changing the future. Because apparently he's going to cause an explosion. Anyway, yeah, it's not the point. But, yeah, the Star Trek crew goes back to 1990. And Sarah Silverman is an astronomer who discovers them in the Griffith Observatory Telescope. Sorry, the whole change in the future thing. Yeah, like, yeah, I know. Hot tub time. So, so they, they, so they have to abduct her and basically pretend they're secret agents. It's okay. ridiculous. Although, I absolutely recommend you watch it. Oh, Sarah Silverman. Yeah, there you go. She was very cute, wasn't she? Yeah. Uh, Before she uh, was angry. Yeah, yeah. When there's that, I mean, there's reasons, but you know, let's let's not go there. I'm not even talking about that picture you're showing me. I'm not. I mean, thank God she wasn't part of the iCloud hack. We'll be having a very different discussion. But, uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that happened, remember? No, that was, that was, that was <laughs> um, the, the... Chainway. Yeah, but yeah. it's... Uh... Red from yeah, uh, Orange is the New How Black. How did you yeah. get that from a hand gesture again? Because it's the only other role Kate Mulgrew has played besides Billy Crystal's ex in Throw Mama from the Train. Wow. Yeah. You want to take me the school manager? And only I happened to have watched that movie last week. Oh, right, oh, right. Yeah, you're acting all big. <laughs> I just noticed it on Sky Cinema last week. Remembered that because Case and I are fans of it. Okay. And we always talk about, like, we talk about like, that scene. Have you ever seen the movie? No. Oh my god, you got to. Pajama Day. Yeah, there was a point to all of this and we've stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on, we got onto Star Trek Voyager and. Sarah Silverman? So, no, we, we went to Sarah Silverman. We started somewhere else. Chris McQuarrie, Way of the Gun. Sarah, oh, that's how we've done it. Yeah, anyway, Chris McQuarrie is going to co-write, uh, going to rewrite Top Gun 2. That's the point. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there was a point in me somewhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Jesus, that took some effort. <laughs> Christ. Whoa. Okay, but there's got to be some other news that we, we need. Oh, no, there's loads of news. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the writer of Wonder Woman's going to do a Marvel movie. We don't know which yet. Yeah. Um, Natalie Portman has started slagging off all the roles that made her famous because apparently she hates the manic pixie dream girl trope. Okay. But uh, that's a thing. To which you then sit there and think, what do you think Darla was? But never mind. Have we, sp- um, have we spoke about Bad Boys? We've not. Okay, we've not spoke about Bad Boys. Talk to me about Bad Boys. Um, so there's been a photo of Bad Boys. Yep. And they look really old. Yep. Even though Will Smith doesn't look old in real life, he looks really old in this He's picture. He's 50. I know, but he doesn't look it. He's 50. But in this picture, he looks really old. And mine, Lawrence, is like, thanks for giving me something to do again. Do you know what's so funny? That's exactly where I go as well with it. Uh, I really do. I, I, right. You know these last, like, 30 years that Will Smith has been a movie star? Yeah. Right. Do you not sit there and think, like, every time they bring up Bad Boys 3, Will Smith's like, eh... I'll get to that. And Martin Lawrence is like, please, please get to that. I think he might just... Like, nobody wants to see 
Blue Street 2. He might just be still famous in America. No, no, he's not. Okay. No, he is not. Tried. Martin Lawrence now is about as famous as Bobby Brown. Oh. Okay. Seriously, when was the last time you talk, heard someone talk about how much they love Bobby Brown? I don't think I've ever heard anybody. No. <laughs> the last person who genuinely cared about Bobby Brown is long dead. Okay. We keep getting documentaries about her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh... No one cares about Bobby Brown. <laughs> no. Although, apparently... Big player on the club scene. Big player. Anyway. Bobby Brown. Allegedly. Allegedly. Big player on the plug, uh, club scene. Anyway. Um, plug scene. Anyway. So, <laughs> there was a point. Yeah. Uh, top Gun 2. Chris McCoy is going to write it. Tom Cruise seems to love that guy. Yeah. That's fair. So. Fair. Although, he did write the Jack Reacher movies. Which were both awful. What? For the six foot four person? You know that six foot four built like a British house guy. 55 inch chest. Tom Cruise. Yeah, that yeah. one. 55 inch. That's the exact description as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, white Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what you're describing. We don't have a white Dwayne Johnson. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure Hollywood, under its usual racial rules, wouldn't have allowed Dwayne Johnson to become Dwayne Johnson. Wouldn't have allowed. I know. They have allowances. I mean, to be fair, it's nice that they're now not being determined by Harvey Weinstein. But still. Okay. okay. Although, no, sir, another bad day for Harvey today. But, uh, yeah, yeah, check the entertainment press. I'm not saying anything. All right. Oh, incidentally, by the way, Henry. Henry Fitzherbert, yeah. right, my friend who co-wrote uh, Slaughterhouse Rules. Yes. Wrote a brilliant piece. Absolutely wonderful piece of writing on, I think it was published on Tuesday on the Times website. Oh. Or it might have actually been in the Times, but it was on Tuesday. Okay. And he took, and I think the headline is uh, like my long road, my long road to to getting to how I nearly lost my mind getting to slaughterhouse rules and all that. And it's the, the whole topic is just the journey of look. I was a film critic like twenty years ago. I really wanted to be a screenwriter, so I started writing scripts. And then this happened, and this, and I and I, I thought I was going to make it, and then didn't. And I thought I was going to make it, didn't. Thor's gap didn't. Wasn't fun for the kids, wasn't fun for the wife. Carried on anyway, because they kept encouraging me. And made it. So, yeah. Made it. Movie's out today, go see it. <laughs> and absolutely wonderful bit of I mean, obviously, it's a lot more eloquent than what I just put it out. Yes. <laughs> but I am not Henry Fitzherbert. His films, his film reviews, sorry, are, his films and his film reviews are a lot more eloquent than anything I could put out. I mean, literally, you've seen my work, but uh, <laughs> you've you've seen my work. It's it's to describe it as childish would be ambitious. Anyway, um, yeah, wonderful piece of writing, but really great insight into you know those people who just really want to pursue their dreams. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like we all like do the muck job. Yeah, and then want to do the dream job. Yeah, like I'm I'm fortunate because my muck job is something that I genuinely love. Yeah. I have a dream job. I'm never going to do my dream job, but you know, I'd, I'd love to write movies. Oh, it's that. never going to happen. I thought because... you were going to say wear an Iron Man suit. Like, like just, I need 2,600 quid. That's, that's, I've worked this. Seriously, you know me. Like a real one, like that can fly in things. Oh, not like a fly, but with working hydraulic flaps, LEDs, you know, voice changer, hand lights. Made of no, no. This is actually a thing. I have priced this shit up. Do you think for one second that I don't know how much a full size mannequin made to my exact specifications would cost? 
Well, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of want to know now. Well, I'm going to tell you now. Now, because I need to keep... I've already told you the suit. I'm keeping you in suspense somewhere. I don't want you to know exactly how financially insane I am. Well, it's not going to fit me, is it? So it doesn't affect me. I don't care. Although I wouldn't put it past you trying it on. I've seen Tommy Boy. I've seen Fat Guy in a coat. Yeah, but come on. Have you seen Tommy Boy? No. Oh, my God. Tommy Boy. Chris Farley, David Spade, both of their best films. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. It's even got Rob Lowe in it. Ooh. That's how good it is. It has Rob Lowe right, as the villain. Ooh. How good does a movie have to be to have Rob Lowe as the villain? It's only happened twice. Well, it's probably more than twice, because technically he's a villain in Austin Powers, but still, anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, so, beside the point, uh, more film news. <laughs> oh, Game of Thrones. Prequel happening. Naomi Watts is the lead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Naomi Watts. For some reason, can't figure that one out. Lead in a Game of Thrones prequel. Oh, okay. So, yeah. By the way, that uh, Marvel series apparently is called Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's the rumoured title. Sweet. Yep. Um, there's trailers out this week for the TV series spin-off of What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, yeah. Which stars... Who's the guy who's the phone jacket? K. Van Novak? Yes. Yep, stars him. Cool, please. It's set in New York. He's good. He's a vampire. Sweet. <laughs> in the style of what we... Seriously, post-Thor Ragnarok... I mean, you should be post what we do in the shadows, but post Thor Ragnarok. How goddamn excited are you for of what we do in the shadows TV show? It will be good. By the way, do you like my new my new statue for the TV? Little Doctor Strange there. Yeah, I saw that earlier. I was yeah. quite, uh... There was uh, I need to go get that Holly Quinn one. I've, I'm building up a collection. I've dead old Doctor Strange and Jessica Jones there. Um, steal it from Calvin. That's what I wanted to. No, no, no. If you can move one of his Holly, I was going to say he'll know. <laughs> God, if, the, if if there were one made of mouldable fabric and you adjusted one of the boobs, just by like three million, he'd know. Anyway, so they're making a movie about Bonnie and Clyde. All right. Right, imagine that. I mean, has it ever happened before? Has it been popular? Who knows? I mean, <laughs> this is a joke. If you don't know this, obviously it happened. Anyway, uh, it is going to star, get this, Jack O'Connell. Yes, I know. I'm saying nothing. And Chloe Moretz, sorry, Chloe Grace Moretz. So she's, she's added some grace. She's Chloe Grace Moretz. And it's called Love is a Gun. Okay. Which really sounds like a Smash Mouth EDM song, doesn't it? EDM. No, they did. Do you not know? Smash Mouth did an EDM song called Love is a Soldier. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And do you know what? It's actually not terrible. No, it's not. It's going to be terrible. Oh, no, it's, it, it's enjoyably shit. Oh, wow. But anyway, <laughs> so it is by Kike Milo, and it is apparently going to be a more a, a more character-driven look at how the Great Depression effect, you know, led them on this path. Yeah. And, yeah, so that's coming. It's going to suck. Y- yeah, I'm not a big fan either, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's Bonnie and Clyde. It's kind of been done. Yeah. Although, I will argue, the only remake Bonnie and Clyde ever needed has already also been done. Shoot. And that is the Tyrese, Megan Good starring uh, African-American adaptation, Waist Deep. Okay. Which is superbly awful. It is genuinely terrible. It's got Tyrese in it, though, so it's got... Yep. This, got, th- got this movie awesome. is from 2006. Tyrese had only been in the Fast and Furious series once at this point. He was not an all-star. He was not a part of the core crew. The family. He was, yeah, he wasn't part of the family. Exactly, sir. <laughs> he wasn't family yet. No. 
He was just Tyrese. He was just the, the crap sidekick yeah. in the second one. <laughs> yeah, really right. So they put him in this movie, and the idea is, like, his son gets abducted. Okay. Like, by some gangster or something, who tells him, you know, you, you got to rob a bank and bring me so many millions by the end of the day. So he goes, and, like, he and the kid's baby mama, who's Megan Good, a.k.a. one of the most beautiful women who has ever lived, okay. basically have to Bonnie and Clyde this thing. It's... Absolutely terrible. <laughs> you absolutely should watch it. Good job, Dave. Do you know what? Kel would love it. It's exactly the kind of film. What was the one last week? Kel hadn't heard of Cellular. Yeah. I actually watched Cellular the day after. And you know what? Even worse than I remember. I love it. Talking about films that Kel loves. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Monster Trucks. Yes. Earlier. But, I mean, it's got MacGyver in it. Which is just... It, I mean, it sucks, but that that <laughs> film... That film is why you two are friends. Oh, it totally is. <laughs> How many times have you seen that? Have you just put it on Sky Cinema all the time. Uh, yeah, so I've seen it in passing. Like, if I'm doing something else, then I'll, like, go into the front room or whatever. I've seen it two or three times from Kel just sat watching it. Oh, God. And it, it's one of the... Like, Kel has films. I don't know if she's ever spoke about it, but she has films that she'll happily fall asleep watching. Yeah, it's one, it's one of those. She's up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll be honest I have something similar and uh, it mainly comes about because every time I leave the room for more than four minutes I return and the wedding singer is on my telly yeah I've seen the wedding singer so many goddamn times the, in fact the most watched movies in my house would basically be at the number one spot the wedding singer yeah at number two Mean Girls and at number three The Duff I genuinely long for The Duff <laughs> okay I mean it's a good film yeah I mean it's a great movie but uh, and also, I have serious issues with the wedding singer, which is first of all, Glenn Goulier is the hero of that story. Okay, this little bastard wannabe rock star wedding singer shit turns up. Are you Barney Stinson in this? Where you just yes, I am Barney. <laughs> hey, hey, the last Barney Stinson <laughs> turns up turned out to be a pretty good YouTube Red Karate Kid sequel. Okay, <laughs> so I'm just going with the idea that a Hans Gruber Die Hard sequel is not the worst idea. Okay, <laughs> so. <laughs> Glenn Goulier is the goddamn hero of the wedding singer he's a badass he drives a DeLorean he wears leopard skin pants he drives around to the theme from Miami Vice and his only goal in life is to enjoy 100% grade A meat okay and then this little bastard wedding singer comes along and snatches his hapless waitress fiance away from this waitress who by the way is a villain in her own right because she's keeping him away from her much more attractive wannabe madonna rock star cousin holly played by i think christine taylor later you know christine taylor stiller and yeah it's a terrible terrible movie when you look at it from that angle and then bloody billy idol turns up and just tries to mess it up for him more. Billy Idol, how shit does your life have to be before Billy Idol turns up and tries to mess up your day? And that is why I have issues with the wedding singer. Oh. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> so the director of It's going to direct an adaptation of uh, um, an anime film called uh, Attack on Titan, which huh? I'm not familiar with. Apparently it is a live-action movie already from its native tongue. Um, Marcus tells me it's a popular anime. And it's a comic book. It's mecha people. Right. You know, like dudes in, in Matrix Reloaded mecha suits. Yeah. You know, power loaders from aliens kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, you know this Tyler Perry Medea series? 
You might not. I don't. Right. Do you know why you don't? You don't live in the United States. Okay, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tyler Perry is a person who... Yeah, you'll see him turn up in movies, and people make a big deal of it. Yeah. And you're like, what, why do we give a shit about this guy? Like, who the hell is he? Well, the answer to that question is actually he's very popular in the United States. Yeah. He makes films... Uh, in, and he, he has this very popular series, which is like, it's called the Medea series. Okay. And the idea is that he, he gets in drag and he plays a grandma. Right. But it's like a stereotypical African-American grandma, but it's okay because it's played to certain, it's played within the lines of the cultural, okay. the cultural way. So it gets the, it plays on the stereotypes, etc. You know, yeah. it's kind of what Eddie Murphy did in The Nutty Professor. <laughs> And they keep doing these things like they do a Medea Halloween and Medea solves a murder. And it's right. basically fucking Ernest. Yeah. Remember Ernest? <laughs> yeah. It's Ernest with a black grandma. Okay, that's Medea. Okay. And, like, Medea's Halloween was so popular. They did a goddamn sequel. They're like, boo a Medea Halloween 2. Nice. Okay, I don't think Ernest ever got a sequel, did he? Or, like, I don't know. I, I remember Slam Dunk Ernest, in which he got magic sneakers. And became a basketball superstar. And I also remember Ernest Halloween, which was awesome. And provides the only alternative spelling for milk that's ever acceptable. Anyway. So, uh, Medea's got a new movie coming out, uh, Medea Funeral. Oh. And, uh, well, Tyler Perry has revealed he's going to stop playing Medea. So, I've not watched the trailer, but I'm going to hedge a wild bet on what that might be about. I mean, really? Yeah. It's kind of like when Chris Evans finishes, like, Avengers, finishes filming Avengers 4 and says, yeah, thanks for the last so many years, that was awesome. Like, dude, we're, we're kind of only going to take that one way. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you probably should have thought that one through. I mean, like, you've got publicists. No. It's like um, the uh, the interview and uh, Mark Ruffalo's like, oh, you should see the next one. <laughs> and then, um, oh, who's he with? Tom Holland? Is it Tom Holland? It's always Tom Holland. No, it's not. Those it's... two are sons of bitches for spoilers. Oh, who, I can't remember who he's with. And he just, like, he turns into, like, a child. And he's like, dude! <laughs> no way. <laughs> okay, so I've just, I've just noticed something on the, on the film news feed. And I've got to point this out, because it's absolutely awesome. And you know I love the movie. So, apparently, there is a film called The Quake. Okay, get this. It's Don Cheadle that he's with. No. It no, stars no, Mark it's, Ruffalo thing that I was no. just saying. It stars, it, sorry, it's directed by Raw Uthorg. That's a good name. It's a good name, isn't it? It's the kind of name that should be followed by Rapturous Thunder if someone had thought on to include the already created oh, the, audio button yeah. that we've used for the last three years whenever we've mentioned. Raw Uthorg. Anyway, uh, so, Raw Uthorg, do you remember what we love him for? No. Right, so, Raw Uthorg, I keep, I really miss the thunder. Anyway, Raw Uthorg, years ago, I kind of hate saying it, uh, years ago he directed a Norwegian disaster film, which you can currently find on Amazon Prime. And it is called The Wave. And it is absolutely brilliant. Okay. They sent me a Blu-ray of it. Nice. I think it was... Because I don't think they thought anyone would see it. I wasn't, like, nationally reviewing at that point. But uh, they sent me this Blu-ray. And I stuck it on one Sunday morning. Em and I sat on the couch. Just having a coffee. Like, Lola asleep in the corner. Just passing time. Watching TV. It's not like we bone or anything. But uh, anyway, we put this Blu-ray on. And God 
Damn, if that wasn't the best disaster movie I hadn't seen in about 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. So the whole thing is you've got a Norwegian town that's built in this valley that opens up to, like, a bay. Okay. Right. And a tsunami comes. All right. That's the movie. That That's literally it. It's like Volcano with a tsunami. <laughs> so you could call the movie Tsunami. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So apparently there is a new movie called The Quake... Its font, by the way, is exactly what you would expect it to be upon its trailer, which is basically a variation on Bebes and Weather, if you want to be really technical. Um, and it's, it, it's from the same team, it's from the same director, it's basically the same thing, only this time, instead of volcano with a tsunami, aka tsunami, it is in fact volcano without tsunami, but with a quake. So quake. Quake. So quake, yeah. That's, that's actually a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Have you heard about this uh, Amber Heard, f- Heard movie this last week? No. So Amber Heard's movie opened last week in the US. Okay. It's called London Fields. We've known about this for some time. It's based on a late 80s novel by Martin Amis, and it stars the likes of Theo James, Jim Sturgis, oh, who's the dude? Billy Bob Thornton, Cara Delevingne is in it as well, of course, and, and Amber Heard is the lead. And it's about a, a psychic woman who predicts her own murder and a writer with, like, decades-long writer's block, played by Billy Bob Thornton, who's a Brit living in the UK for reasons I don't think I've ever explained, okay. um, who comes across her journals detailing this murder and just watches, like, I guess. Anyway, uh, the movie opened. It made next to no money. And, uh, funnily enough, it's... Uh, Disappeared from the old release schedule. Oh, so that press show kind of kind of vanished. Oz kind of disapparated. To use a Fantastic Beasts term. By the way, if I wrote a memoir, could I get away with calling it Fantastic Beasts and where to lose them? Um, yes. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. I'll do that. I'll do it in the font. Anyway. Um. But yeah. So uh, London Field disappeared from uh, the release schedule. Disappeared from the press show schedule. It's. Uh, just vanished. Some of the reviews have been genuinely hilarious. <laughs> and, right. Per screen, this movie, on average, using math, made $261. Oh, wow. Which is, I think, is that, I mean, if you, I, I'm not, I'm not the currency conversion here, or $261. Should we call it 180 quid? Just to be sure. Yeah, that right. So it's like, if we say, like, something again, it's 160 quid, uh, 180 quid. Wait, how much? Uh, Dollars? 261. How many is that currently in power? Check ze.com. So, z, uh, xe.com. How much is 261 bucks in car? I'm off to New York in a couple of months. I have to know this shit. But, uh. 200 pound? 200 pound. Is that actually the thing? 84 pence. 200 pound, 84 pence. So this made 600 quid per screen less than Danny Dyer's Run for Your Wife. Yep, that actually happened. Remember that Danny Dyer, Denise Van Outen rom-com? Yeah. That yeah. happened, by the way. And I'll never forget. Um, that happened. Yeah, this made uh, less than that. So, <laughs> there's some, if you want a good laugh, uh, bear in mind, this movie has one of those brilliantly rare 0% Rotten Tomatoes scores. Oh. Yep. Go over to Rotten Tomatoes, read the critics' reviews. They are outstanding. <laughs> they are genuinely By the way, I never answered you earlier on the... Uh, we got lost on the Martin Lawrence trail about Bad Boys 3. Yeah. Right. Um, 
as as I previously said on my Twitter feed about two hours ago, uh, when I discovered the story, I don't care if that photo is of Will Smith and Martin Lawrence with a gun to the back of Jerry Bruckheimer's head whilst he is holding the day's newspaper surrounded by refuse bags full of cash. I will believe that Bad Boys 3 exists when I see it. Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's like Tron Ascension. You're never going to goddamn see it. It's like Bill and Ted 3. I'm sure all. I'm sure there are 20 scripts for Bill and Ted 3. Yeah, yeah. You can keep delivering them. Shit ain't ever getting made. Yeah, it's true. It's true. like Event Horizon 2. That one gets rumoured fairly often. Oh, I remember when there was a Rock 2 rumour. Really? Oh, yeah. That was a thing. Oh, you want to go through film rumours that never happened? Because yeah, I got yeah, a bunch yeah, of we'll them. I got a goddamn bunch of them. We'll be here for, <laughs> for years. You forget, I lived through the 90s. <laughs> I was only a wee burn in the 90s. I remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be the star of Ridley Scott's Crusade, a movie that would later actually get made with Orlando Bloom and be called Kingdom of Heaven. Uh-huh. Nobody liked it, and then they did a director's cut. Why? We don't know, but hey, money. So, <laughs> because because fuck you, money. It's the same reason we have nine Blade Runner cuts. Yeah. It's not because Ridley Scott's indecisive, it's because he just really likes money. They put him in the in a room with Kermode and the director of the new one. And the pair of them apparently couldn't agree on what the first movie was. Bearing in mind, one of them directed the motherfucker. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so, I think that about rounds off a good week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll get you a very special one. This one's an outtake. Here it is. Your moment of cage. I just want to get in that water and start kidnapping. <laughs>